Welcome in to the Duck Territory Podcast. I'm Matt Preem. Eric Scopel is across the way. Hello, hello. Ooh, into the microphone. Well, I've been told that it, sometimes my voice gets washed out, so I'm getting very close this time. <laughs> it's uh, officially summer, spring here, and uh, we're going to do another podcast today, obviously, because you're listening to us. Be weird if we weren't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there is some stuff that's going on. We're going to break down uh, the... Commitment from five-star quarterback DJU to Clemson and what that means for Oregon's recruiting class at the quarterback position for 2020. Uh, and then we'll also discuss a little bit of some basketball news. Oregon's women's program added a five-star prospect. And then Oregon's men's team had a four-star guy uh, get elevated into a five-star ranking in the 24-7 sports composite. Uh, so we'll kind of touch base on that and just kind of where each team needs to go from here for 2019 for the men. And obviously the women are off to a tremendous start for 2020. Yes. Uh, we'll get your, Eric, your thoughts on that. And then last but not least, we're going to, we're going to go and debate here. What freshmen are going to have the biggest impact um, on this football team next season? Uh, and it's not the most talented. It's right. not, it's not the most, the guy that's going to play the most, it's, it's going to be the guys that have the biggest impact uh, on the 2019 football season. Um, and for instance, you know, I, I think this is maybe a bad example because he was the highest rated guy, I think. Uh, and then also he was arguably the most important, Penny Sewell. I think you and I both agree. For we last just, year would have yeah, been easy number one pick. When we were discussing this, we both said Penny Sewell would have been the number one most, you know, important or impactful freshman for Oregon because he started at left tackle, protecting the blind side of Justin Herbert, and, uh, and his talent obviously was immensely high. Uh, but So we'll end the show with, with that as well. So lots to get to on the podcast. Let's let's dive right into um, DJU. Mm-hmm. Not a shock, right? Not for me. Although I think I was the only one who still had a crystal ball. In yeah, you just Oregon. forgot. I just forgot. I also, when I did, someone... On, uh, told me on Twitter, I think was kind of maybe optimistic that somebody was still picking Oregon and asked me about it. And, but I was like, well, I'm just trying to get the points because if I if I did get the points because I had it back in like July 30th of yeah. last year, it went huge for my my crystal ball points. But uh, yes, I don't think it was a surprise at all. I think the, the writing was sort of on the wall, um, at least for those that have been paying attention. Once in a generational type talent, mm-hmm. so it, it it really stinks um, from an Oregon perspective how kind of They've had a couple once-in-a-generation type guys that seem early on like lean, heavy leans to Oregon because yeah. of cultural ties. Marcus Mariota opened the door for the you know the Polynesian quarterback. Tua Tagovailoa at Alabama was just dying to go to Oregon, and then Helfrich, yeah. Helfrich had no desire to go there and really heavily recruit him, and so he you know got over the Ducks and obviously is. Now going into his third year as you know an elite quarterback at Alabama, um, and, and I really wonder just kind of if you take a really far step back of what if you know had Oregon gone after Tua and he has the same kind of success that he's having at Alabama now at Oregon from an individual standpoint, does the, the Polynesian pull to yeah. DJU oh, just is that too hard to overcome for any other one? Outside of Oregon. I'll tell you what, I'm going to start my What If Wednesday series sometime soon. This might be the first one. You're giving me ideas here. Actually, uh, Ryan Thorburn for the Sugar Guard gave me another one earlier today. So I've got some stuff going here. But I think that's a great point, just in terms of 
there's, there is sort of a domino effect, I think it feels like, because if you go back, what, four years ago, it did feel like two have wanted to go to yeah. Oregon, and, and their sense was that he probably would have if they would have recruited him a little more aggressively. This time around, obviously, they were much more aggressive yeah. with DJ. I mean, they were after him from the start, as you should, and you have a kid, you know, in a connecting state with that kind of talent. Like you said, once in a generation. This is a guy who... He could be a could first be a, round baseball pick. Yeah, and he could be a Heisman Trophy winner. He could win. He's probably going to have a chance at least to win national championships at Clemson once Trevor Lawrence. God, he's still only a freshman this year. Yeah. Once he graduates in a couple of years, but uh, yeah, this is a this is a tough one, and, and I agree. I think there there was a missed opportunity there with with Tua, and, and you know I think that's obviously like I don't think that's I'm not like reinventing the wheel by making that claim, but but I do think that there probably is in some instance a little bit of that effect here, and again. A guy like like DJ could have been somebody that elevates this program from right now. I think people are saying they're maybe in the discussion for the sure. college football playoff. But a couple of years from now, if DJ was on this team, at the type of player people are projecting him as, it's not at outlandish, I don't think, at all. And especially when you look at the talent around him that Oregon's bringing in with these great recruiting classes, to think Oregon would have been a very much a legitimate national championship type of contender with him at quarterback. Obviously, they could still become that. I think Tyler Shuck. Right now, it feels like the guy in line to be there, but DJ, obviously someone with a ton of talent, a ton of uh, of hype around him, and, and obviously a, a tough one to miss out on. And Oregon, certainly, there was, this wasn't a situation where Oregon couldn't have done anything more. I mean, they, they did everything possible. Yes. So, you know, they brought Marcus Mariota in for the spring game when when he was at, when DJ was here to visit Oregon just before his commitment. You know, they, they pulled out all the stops, uh, and they gave him as much attention as, as possible, Um so this wasn't a situation where I don't think it was negative. You know, he wasn't high on Oregon. It was just Clemson was a a, a more proven, ready-made position. And I think that's what probably was the most hurtful for Oregon was Oregon couldn't tell DJ, hey, your freshman year, your sophomore year, right. your junior year, we are going to be in the hunt not only for the college football playoff, we are going to be in the hunt for the national championship. Clemson can say that right now. I think Oregon... They can be a dark horse playoff team this year. I agree. I have no idea what they're going to be like in 2020. Absolutely. And, you know, they lose so many guys. I think they're projected to lose, what, like seven starters from the offensive side of the football? Well, there are four offensive linemen off the top of your head right there. They lose a quarterback. Could be a quarterback. That's a pretty obvious one. <laughs> Herbert, yeah, he's important. I was going down the wide receivers. But, yeah, Herbert's pretty important. But, but uh, yeah, and then you've got receivers. You've got Breland as a tight end who probably starts. So, yeah, they could lose seven, maybe eight guys that are starters. Defensively, there's a, a ton of guys. You look at the team. Right now, a lot of seniors are going to play key roles. So, yeah, this is a could be a very different team in 2020. So I, I, I think Oregon's going to continue to be good. I do, too. But I don't have as definitive proof as I do for Clemson. And so I think that was a big you know hurdle for, for, for Oregon to get over. And I don't think you can knock him at all for the decision he made. Obviously, Oregon's much closer. Yeah. And from a, probably from a cultural perspective, South Carolina is probably going to be a lot different than what yeah. he's used to in California as opposed to Eugene, which is probably closer. But... Uh, you're, you're going you're going into a ready-made situation. Yeah. I mean, you, you, um, barring some crazy stuff happening at Clemson, they're going to be contending for national championships. And you see what they're doing in this recruiting class along with him. Yeah. I mean, just they, they could have uh, you know this is going to this is the team that's going to be you know contend with Alabama for the next four or five years. It feels like, and with that with a player like this at quarterback, like I'm sure Nick Saban's going like really wish Oregon could have landed this one. <laughs> so what's next for Oregon? That's kind of the big question. Um, Butterfield at quarterback is kind of their de facto now number one. Yeah. And 
the interesting thing with Jay Butterfield is, is he's the highest rated quarterback left on the board that's uncommitted. Pro style or dual threat. He's the sixth best player in the country at the quarterback position that combines both positions, dual threat and pro style. He's a pro style guy. Uh, DJ was pro style, but I think it was pretty obvious he could run and you could design runs for him right. uh, if you wanted to. Um, Butterfield is all the way pro style. Uh, and so they're a little bit different in terms of skill set athleticism wise. But that being said, if DJ wasn't in this class, if he wasn't at in California, or if he just wasn't in the 2020 class, Butterfield would arguably be Oregon's top target at the quarterback position group. He's that good. And we were just talking about this in our Slack, or actually in a, on a conference call earlier this week. But you look at it, and Oregon, if Oregon does lay DJ Butterfield, obviously we're taking a, a, big, a big leap here. But if he is the consolation prize, I put that in quotations because he is a top 100 recruit. He'd be the highest-rated quarterback prospect Oregon had earned a commitment from since 2003. Right. This is not like you're landing some scrub or something. This is a guy who's a potentially a program-changing guy in his own right. Yeah. Obviously, he's not. We know DJ's, you know, got some different intangibles, different skill set. But this is not a guy to scoff at. This is a guy you bring in thinking he will contend for a starting job along with Tyler Shuck and Kale Millen. So, absolutely, somebody that I think Oregon fans, if you go, oh, we missed out on DJ, we're not going to get a good quarterback. Hold on, take a step back. Let it breathe, and let's see what happens with Butterf- Jay Butterfield. Because if that does happen, again, you look at just kind of – I've got the all-time quarterback commitment list pulled up here, and Kellen Clemens is the highest rated from 2001. Yeah, it's not very it's, – It's not very many. No. You'd be surprised here. Dennis Dixon's the next guy from 2003, and then Butterfield, if he did pick Oregon, would be the third highest rated quarterback to ever commit to Oregon. Um, right behind him would be uh, Travis Johnson slash Travis Waller. He was Waller as a recruit. Um, and that was the most recent guy that was even in, in the same kind of range of him. So this would be, again, a humongous quarterback commitment for them. This is this would not be an afterthought by any means. He would move in and, and be pro- probably one of the top-rated recruits in Oregon's signing class, which we expect to be very good. So, again, I think a lot to still be optimistic about, even after, obviously, a, a tough loss on the recruiting trail. And then the next question becomes, well, if Jay Butterfield doesn't go to Oregon, then what's next? And this is where I think – it's kind of like a road down a, a, a path, and then all of a sudden it has a whole bunch of branches, and it goes a whole <laughs> bunch of different directions. Oh, what a metaphor. <laughs> Just because Butterfield is the option. I think it's obvious he's he's 1A now. Right. Oregon has treated him as such for the last six weeks, eight weeks. Um, when Oregon kind of got that feeling, hey, TJ's probably not coming here. Uh, Butterfield was cool with with kind of being 1B behind DJ, and now he's got the opportunity to be the top target. Who they go after 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 Butterfield is going to be the question. Bryce Young, another five-star. He's currently committed to, to USC. He's a dual-threat guy from Matter Day High School. Um, he's a lot different than what DJ yeah. and what Butterfield is like. He's like a six-foot, six-foot-one, really athletic, really quick guy, you know, I hate to use the term Baker Mayfield or, or Kyler Murray, but he's, you know, Johnny Manziel. He's, but he's that type of a dude. Like, he's not this six foot four guy that stands over the pocket and rifles it. He, he's super athletic. He's slippery and he runs around and makes plays, you know, with his feet to extend drives and, and then and extend passing plays because he ex- escapes out of the pocket type stuff. Um, He's a so he's a completely different style quarterback. And my one question there is, is he gonna fit the personnel right. that Oregon has at the offensive line? Because 
you look at who they've brought in, these are huge dudes. These are not guys that are like Oregon yeah. during the Chip Kelly era that could, you know, scramble all over the place and protect the scrambling quarterback. These are our power road graders, huge, just huge human beings while super athletic. I don't know if they necessarily fit that type of an offense. Yeah, and I think that will present probably a really interesting dilemma for Oregon staff of, are we looking for the best player available or the best fit available? And we'll right. probably learn a lot about what they prioritize in this recruiting process based upon what happens if Jay Butterfield goes a different direction. Because, like you said, I think you look at a lot of the guys that Oregon would be looking at afterwards and they'd be more on that dual threat kind of style as opposed as opposed to the uh, the pro style like you see with with DJ and with Butterfield. So yeah, some interesting things here. Again, I think at, at some point here you just trust that this is a really good recruiting coaching staff that they're going to go find somebody. But the, Oregon needs a good quarterback in this class. You know, I yeah. don't think you can look past that. Obviously, Justin Herbert graduates. We just talked about Tyler Shuck and Cale Milne being there. You want a third guy who can contend for that starting job because you want at least a guy who can push Tyler Shuck if Tyler Shuck is right now kind of considered um, the favorite for that job. You at, at very bare minimum want someone who can at least challenge him so he you get the most out of him during the fall and spring. And, and best case, you get a guy who can maybe even beat him out. So right. uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think you also, before just wrapping this up, you yeah. also go look at the two guys that they have signed under under Mario Cristobal and Marcus Arroyo, the offensive coordinator, Tyler Shuck and Kale Millen. Mm-hmm. Neither of those guys are dual threat guys. Great point. Uh, they are all the way pro-style quarterbacks. And that doesn't mean you can't change and you can't find a guy that can fit a pro-style offense, but those are those two guys are they are traditional pro-style drop-back pocket passers. And I think history suggests that's what Oregon's looking at because they're two top targets. That's what they happen to be. From a basketball standpoint, let's get into the women's side yeah. here. Um, you had the news on DuckTerritory.com that they landed Kelly Graves, landed another five-star. Is this their second or? Well, it depends on what recruiting service we're using. And, and, and the hard thing here is that for football and men's basketball, we've got 24-7 sports. Boom. We've got, I mean, right. we're confident in our experts. For women's sure. basketball, we've got ESPN, and I think it's just like one guy doing evaluations. And we've got Prospects Nation, which... I'm still just becoming familiar with. I'm, it's it's kind of the secondary site here. Uh, Prospects Nation has her as a five star recruit, sure. And and Sydney Parrish, who's already committed two guards as five star recruits. ESPN has Pow Pow as uh, a three star recruit. Yeah, say her name. Sorry, Tahina Pow Pow. Tahina Pow Pow. Pow Pow, like I was telling Matt before, like two guns being fired. <laughs> I can't get over that. Um, but uh, this is a big, regardless of the ranking, this is a big addition. And, and I think part of the reason your, your ESPN maybe had her uh, ranked where she was is she, she has had some injuries and she's working through some stuff. But you go back a couple years, ESPN had a feature on her. I was just going to say this. With, this with, blew my mind. Kelsey Plum, uh, former Washington star, former Wooden Award winner, former uh, first player taking the WNBA draft, rookie of the year. You go down the line. She's been an awesome women's basketball player, she had a story. She's also from San Diego where Pow Pow was from. And she said when Pow Pow was 14 years old, she might be the best player to come out of this area. And that is humongous. And she said she could have, at that time, could could have played in the Pac-12 and started at some school. And Kelsey Plum just graduated like two years ago from UW. So this isn't like a a 35-year-old woman coming out here. competitions like. Yeah, she she knows the Pac-12 because she played in it two two years ago. So, big-time addition. This is, uh, Oregon is is probably going to sign, um, this is, and I don't don't know exactly how the team rankings work, but they're probably going to sign the top-rated class based upon the way things are kind of going, the direction they're going in. They've already landed, again, two top 15, depending upon which service 
Uh, Angela Dugalich is another player they've, they've, stopped, they've got a commitment from. She's a high four-star recruit. They're probably going to gain commitments from upwards of five to six players who are in the top 40, depending Jeez. upon which recruiting service you use. So this is going to be a, a huge, huge coup for this program to go from the 2016 class with Sabrina Ionescu, with Ruthie Hebert and Aaron Boley, which are all big-time recruits, now to 20, 24 years later. This is kind of that next group, this next wave of talent for Kelly Graves and and again, a really exciting start to this class. You know, they're only, uh, you know, we're only in early May, and you've got three really big time commitments, and possibly a fourth coming soon. We won't obviously go into detail of that, but I've heard that's possible too. So, what's what is next for this class? Like, what what do you feel like they need to add that's left on the board? I think they're going to take uh, at least one more guard, um, and there are some guards out there that I think you have to take. Um, Haley Van Lith from Washington is the number three rated recruit. She's drawn some comparisons to UNESCO in terms of the talent, which sure. obviously is pretty, that's pretty, pretty, nice. pretty complimentary. <laughs> um, that's a must take. Caitlin Clark is, I think, the fourth ranked player in the class, another point guard. Those two, I think, if either one of them wanted to pick Oregon, they'd take it. And then they've got a handful of other guards that are kind of, you know, in on the mix for one of which I've heard may pick Oregon at some point soon. And then there's a handful of forwards they're still looking at. So I think they're, they've got three right now. I think they're going to sign five to six and they'll probably take one to two guards, one to two yeah, forwards. So It'll just be kind of a split. Probably one guard, one forward for sure. And then whatever the best player available is. So the plan is, you know, five to six. So that could mean two or two or three more verbal commitments. Something like that. And obviously tra- the transfer market could change things both. Players leaving, players coming in. There's possible that Oregon adds a grad with, transfer, with, as adds well, a right? grad transfer, or, or somebody else who's ava- uh, you know available to play right away. So there's there's a lot of moving parts, but yeah, I think you're pretty safe saying two or three more additions in this class, unless they just land a bunch of transfers. And given what I've heard, I would expect that they're gonna they're gonna land some big time recruits still. The men's side, they got some interesting news this week when uh, we updated at 24/7 Sports our rankings, and then um, I think. ESPN maybe had done theirs as well. Rivals just did theirs today. So Rivals did theirs today. And so the composite's been updating. And C.J. Walker, who's Oregon's highest-rated prospect that was, that's been signed, he's a four, he was a four-star power forward. He is a four-star with us at 24-7 Sports. He right. is the highest four-star. <laughs> uh, he's, I think, 24th in the country, and there are 23 five-star players. Literally right on the cusp. Uh, he, however, has been awarded his fifth five-star from the composite average. and Maybe explain what that means, what the composite is. Sure. Sense. So the composite average takes into the scores of 24-7 sports, ESPN, and Rivals, the, those three recruiting services, and it averages it out, and there's 35-star players in the composite, and C.J. Walker checks in at number 28 in the country, which now extends uh, Oregon's streak of signing a five-star player to three straight years in a row, started with Troy Brown, in the 2018 recruiting class, and then 2000, oh, excuse me, 2017, yeah. 2018, they signed two in Bull Bull, and then also Lewis King, and now C.J. Walker becomes the fourth in three years, and for the third straight year, uh, at 28, and he's he's going to be, I, I think he's like sixth or seventh highest all time, uh, what Oregon has signed in program history at the position, and you know a lot of people are wondering what's this Oregon basketball team going to look like? Are they going to be uh, a team that can compete to, for the Pac-12 championship. Can they can they get back to the Sweet 16? Can they make it further than that? Yeah. Are they going to take a step back? I think you look at this at this class and you realize, you know, Walker is legit. He he is a one and done type candidate. And, you know, Oregon's potentially fourth guy 
uh, in, in three years, years for that's one and done. Before had never happened to which yeah <laughs> never done before. And then they've also got other guys that have, have seen their rankings draw, uh, increase. Isaac Johnson, a four-star center. Uh, Chandler Lawson, a four-star power forward, and then Chris Duarte. He's only a three-star, but go and look at his junior college ranking, and you'll realize, oh, he's the junior college player of the year. Yeah, he's pretty good. Uh, and so the, the one caveat there is, is Isaac Johnson is planning on taking a religious mission after high school, so he won't be enrolling at Oregon. Um, but Oregon does have a couple guys that are 2020 prospects that are considering moving in to 2019. Uh, they've got a couple 2019 prospects still on the board. And on top of that, they're looking at some grad transfers. And I don't think, knowing that they've got Walker, knowing that they've got Duarte, and that they've got Lawson coming in, and then Wooten, Pritchard, Okoro, and Richardson, that group alone right there. It's really good. Tell, I still believe that's the sweet, that's sweet 16 caliber. A lot, it's probably, you almost have to have a perfect season for that to play out that way. But, you know, the margin of error is, really, is razor thin, but they're still there. And now it's just, can you make that margin of error larger, and can you go up a level? Can you get to Elite Eight? Can you get to Final Four? Can you get to Championship level by the additions that they're going to have between now and next season? And they're going to have to make a handful. Because yes. like you just said, they haven't have seven players on scholarships set to be eligible to play this upcoming year. Um, we should mention, um, blank on the first name, is Eric Williams? Eric Williams Jr., yes. Yeah, uh, he's, he's going to sit out a year. He transferred from Duquesne, but... Seven players on your roster. Obviously, you want to get close to double digits. You probably love. You probably want to be in double digits in terms of players eligible and available to play this year. So there's going to be, or it's currently early May. It's going to be quite a bit of movement going on over the next month or two um, to kind of finalize this roster. And you mentioned grad transfers are possible. Uh, there's some guys from 2020 that could be class of 2019. I'm sure Oregon's looking around at any other 2019 guy that's not signed somewhere and, and wondering, maybe somebody that's already signed. You know, there's a coaching change, something that goes on. We should mention Sean Miller at Arizona. Right. Water's getting a little hot over there. <laughs> uh, and he has some, he, I think they have, what, the second highest rated recruiting class in the country. And a lot of Number kids, one. Number one. And a lot of kids out in the West Coast. So a lot of moving parts still possible. But certainly I think Walker is someone that you can kind of, I don't say build around, but a, a, a player that you feel really good about having enter your program. Let's get into this list now. All right. So to recap here, this is the most impact. This isn't the most talented. So, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau obviously could be the number one player for both of us, you know, but he's the most talented player on this recruiting class for 2019. Right. That doesn't necessarily make him the guy that's going to have the most impact for Oregon's football team in 2019. So, I'll start start things off. Okay. Um, My number 10 is Mace Funa at linebacker. Um, I really was hesitant to putting, even putting him on here because... He didn't play at all last year because of an injury, but I just think Oregon's lack of bodies at linebacker um, you know, is going to open the door. And while Funa may not be a guy that sees a ton of time on the defensive side, I think he ends up being like a regular special teams guy, a regular, you know, he will get in on some blowouts. So I think, I think Funa comes in at number 10 for me. Uh, my number 10 is the Matt Preem special here where I've done two players that play the same position <laughs> in one spot. I have Jimon Eford and Drew Mathis as a okay. collective 10 because both of these guys were here this spring. Uh, a lot of positive reviews uh, for both of them. Both started with the second team defense, obviously. Like you said, Foon is coming and there's going to be uh, some players who weren't healthy that are going to come back. There will be some changes here, but I think both guys have a chance 
um, to, to play quite a bit this year at linebacker as reserves. I don't think anyone expects them to come in and start unless there are injuries. Right. But I think both guys have a chance, at the very least, like you said, to be special teams players. My number nine here is Sean Dollars. And, uh, That's surprising. In parentheses, I wrote, too talented. Now, too talented. Uh, this is probably the closest thing I have to reach here because most of what I've done here is look at positions that have holes and, and which guys could fit into them. But I look at Dollars as someone who maybe he is, like I said, too talented not to see the field. Oregon brings back four scholarship running backs. Obviously, not, there's only one football, four guys. You had a fifth guy right. in Dollars. going to be hard to get everybody involved. But I, I just think that... The upside there is really high, and, and he's going to have a chance because, you know, you do have C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye who solidified their role, but I don't think you can say Cyrus Habibi Likio or uh, Darian Felix are, like, guaranteed, for, you know, surefire guys that are going to contribute this season. I think both are talented and capable. I'm not knocking either one, but there isn't much history. I could see Dollars coming in and kind of stealing uh, some, some some role from both of those guys. That's the, I didn't put Dollars on because I didn't – I'd look at the depth chart and just – not just too, too far down. But I think you could conceivably say, like, it wouldn't surprise either of us if Cyrus Avilakio, Darian Felix, or Travis, you know, probably not Travis Dye, but one of those two guys isn't on the team next season because maybe they want to play. Maybe, you know, they want to be able to to have an opportunity to play. And look, they have four guys that are sophomore running backs. And the the reality is... All four of those guys are not going to finish their careers at Oregon. No. I mean, it would it would surprise me tremendously if that happened. So that's an interesting pick. Um, my number nine, Triquez Bridges at safety. Mm. Uh, this is where I'm projecting a little bit because yeah. I didn't. He's farther down the list uh, of high, you know, rankings of commits. He's a three star guy. He's like I think in like the bottom like third of Oregon's 2019 right, recruiting yes. class. But I just look at the safety positions and. We've got Khalif Halisi, um, we've got Steve Stevens, we've got Brady Breeze, um, Billy Gibson's still on the team, right? Where did he leave? He left. He left. So, yeah, he, so he's, that's one spot that's opened up. I just think there isn't a definitive guy on the roster, and Javon Holland and Nick Pickett are kind of your de facto starters. Mm-hmm. And then behind them, there's not really, like, a clear cut, like, he's the clear number Number two, you know, backup. Like I think Triquez Bridges might find his way onto the football field, and in particular on special teams. Those listening probably heard me audibly grunt when you announced it. It's because I actually had him on my list, and my, in parentheses it said my favorite player in class. Uh, but I took him <laughs> off because we uh, kind of were including some newcomers that aren't freshmen, some grad transfer possibly who was on yeah. my list. You might know who that would be since there's only one grad transfer. Uh, <laughs> not hard to figure it out. Uh, but I, I really like Bridges a lot and, and wish he was also on my list, but I didn't have space, especially when I'm going to use the Matt Prime twofer on the number 10 spot there. Um, for me, number eight, Josh Delgado, uh, wide receiver. I thought he had some really nice moments this spring. Um, he was banged up for a little bit of the second portion of spring, but um, did play in the spring game. Honestly, could have. people might be talking a little bit differently if, if Mikhail Wright hadn't been plastered over him. I think he had two touchdowns. Um, that, that probably would have, you know, he probably would have yeah. caught and scored if Wright hadn't made a really good play on the ball, but um, I think he's somebody at a position that there's a ton of, ton of opportunity at wide receiver right now, and uh, I, I have three out of my ten guys on here are at wide receiver, and, and he's my you know lowest rated one at eight here. I think conceivably he could build his way into you know either a starter or that fourth or fifth sure. receiver on this roster just because of his talent level, his versatility. He can play slot. He can play outside. I think a really exciting player and, and number eight on my list. 
number seven or number eight for me, I have Jonah Tawanu um, at offensive tackle. I think he would be higher up the board if a Throckmorton went pro or a Shane Lemieux had went pro yeah. or a Jake Hansen had gone pro. Um, I just I don't think he's going to get enough reps Agreed. to go higher than than eighth on my list. But he's certainly like a top three or four player in this class. Yeah. Uh, I just don't think he's going to get the reps to, to go any higher than eight. And I, and I didn't include him on the list for that exact reason because I think with Penny Sewell at left tackle and Calvin Throckmorton at right tackle, I just don't see any opportunity. I think those guys are going to play a lot. I think the one possibility would be if Throckmorton can move inside to guard, maybe right guard. That's how I took it. Because and then Tony, yeah, and Tony is just so good he plays right tackle. I don't feel very confident in Dallas Warmack staying completely healthy the entire season. True. I mean, he basically the entire year played hurt. And that's – I'm not – bagging on him at all it just that's what happened and if that happens again Throck obviously goes in at the guard spot in my opinion because he's your, your best option at guard and then you can move Jonah over to right tackle yeah that, that, and that was something I considered as well but I agree I think Jonah to me just there's not quite enough opportunity there number seven for me is Mace Guna uh, I also in parentheses have too talented uh, another situation where there just isn't a, maybe a ton of opportunity at inside linebacker. I think we know Troy Dye is obviously one yep. spot. We think Isaac Isaac Slade's pretty clearly the other guy. Samson New probably is the third person kind of in between those guys. Funa, though, for me, is somebody that it could be a thing where it takes him some time to get built into this because, like you said, he had coming off the knee injury. It may take him a little bit to kind of get rolling here, but I wouldn't be surprised by the second half of the season if you see him out there a lot and he's playing a ton. I also had a hard time knowing where to rank linebackers just because yeah. Andy Avalos' defense, it seems like they're kind of only playing two traditional linebackers and then they have an edge rusher. So a little hard to project where he could fit in there. But I don't think he has quite as much opportunity as some of these other guys, but he's just a talented guy who has to be on the list, I think. Uh, I think I'm one behind you, so I need to go seven okay. and I need to go seven and six. Go for it. So number seven for me is Josh Delgado at receiver. Uh, like you said with Delgado, I just think he, you know, if Micah Pittman and Juwan Johnson didn't show up during spring ball, everyone would be raving uh, about 100%. about Josh Logato. So I, I have Josh Logato at seven. At number six, I have Drew Mathis. I think um, Mathis is going to be – he's going to kind of come in and fill, I think, what everyone was expecting Mace Spooner to do um, before he got hurt, before his senior year of high school, of you know being maybe that fourth linebacker off the bench uh, and, and the key, you know, key special teams guy. Uh, Key Sims' departure uh, this spring, I think, is a, a direct correlation to Drew Mathis showing up. Uh, that's just me reading into things, you know, not reporting anything. I just think Mathis is going to be a guy that we're going to see quite a bit on the football field. And it wouldn't surprise me if if he and Samson New get into that kind of position battle for that number three spot, mm-hmm. uh, who comes off the bench first at inside linebacker. We should mention here, he was third on the team in tackles in the spring game with five, yeah. so he, he showed up really well, I thought, in the spring game. Also a reason why he was on my list. Is it my turn now? Did yes, I, it is did, your Did I jump you again? No, 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 no. no. Okay. I no. just did not do two. Okay. Number six for me is uh, Keon, Keon Ware-Hudson, and this is largely just based upon the position thing. I think he's really talented, but I look at nose guard, and I don't know who Jordan Scott's clear backup is. I just don't know if there is one. 
Um, is it Sione, Sione Kaba? Is it Gary Baker, who we should say missed? He was out all, all spring, so I don't know if he's playing guard or if he's playing end uh, in this defense, so it's kind of hard to project. But I just look at the thing, I go, Jordan Scott's clearly going to be your starting nose guard. After that, like, you could be one of 30, 13 guys. That's an exaggeration, but one of a lot of guys, and, and I wouldn't be surprised. Are you being literal there? Not 13 be, scholarship? Not 13 scholarship <laughs> nose guards are, are going to be on the <laughs> roster. It's a, it's a, Joe is, you know, it's his dream. Um, uh, no, but uh, I, I think where, where Hudson's talented, obviously the recruiting rankings suggest that he has the build for the position. So I think he's a natural fit at nose guard. And again, given the fact that there just isn't you know much behind Jordan Scott, at least it wasn't last year, I just think there's a lot of option for him to to play there. And then uh, number five for me, okay, I'm going to make Mikhail Wright, which probably feels a little low, but I just think cornerback position, you've got two guys in Thomas Graham and Diamade Lenore who are coming back. Graham's going to his third year starting. Lenore is second. Both the guys I thought played really well last year. I think both guys are going to be pros. We talked about this in the past. I like Mikhail Wright a lot. We've, this is pretty well established. I think I had him on my uh, draft eligibility. Yeah, you had him really high up. And, uh, and we were kind of going crazy over that. But I, I just think, uh, I, I wrote in parentheses, talented, but two guys ahead of him. And uh, and that's just kind of how I see it. I think I wouldn't be shocked at all if he's at the top of this list. Maybe they figure out a way to, to, to play all three guys, or, or he jumps one of those guys. But Right now, I just think the depth in front of him is kind of what's in the way. Yeah, his battle with Veron McKinley III is going to be right. very intense during fall camp. Uh, at number five for me, I have Camden Lewis. I think he's going to overtake the kicker position. He's going to beat out um, Adam Stack, who who has been basically yeah. hurt all of his career. His career. It's, it's rough. Um, Zach Emerson, I don't know if... He's ever done. He never was really like. He didn't do anything really to lose the job no. last year, but at the same time, he didn't really do anything to like instill himself as the clear cut starter yeah. at the at the place kicker position at field goal. Um, so I I think I think Camden Lewis comes in and takes over that uh, that kicker spot for Oregon at number five. So is it you or is it me? Why don't you go ahead and go? Number okay. four, I'll go, I'll go after that. Uh, number four, I have, this is where I have Mikhail Wright. Uh, I think we're pretty much in agreement. He's yeah. going to be pretty good. Just what keeps him out of the top three for me is I just don't know if he's going to get a ton of reps at one of the, you know, boundary or field corner positions just because, uh, Lenore and Thomas Graham. I think our top five are going to be identical players in different orders because my number four was Camden Lewis and basically your same spiel. I stack, unfortunately, I don't know how much you can rely on him with the injury history. Just I don't know if he's going to be healthy. Wouldn't, and this is not reporting again, but wouldn't shock me at all if he's a medical retirement candidate down the line here because you have a kicker who has a leg that obviously he's having a hard time kicking with and, yeah. and that's significant. And Lewis came in and, and I know Chris Bowles pretty high on how he performed. We didn't get a ton of opportunity to see live kicking, but somebody I, I think uh, you would expect to start at, at kicker this year. Number three for me is Micah Pittman, probably also on your list. Yeah. I would imagine since we're this high, it hasn't been said yet. <laughs> eh, not too not impressed. Uh, I I would not be shocked at all if he leads the team in receptions this yeah. year. I've written that already before a couple times, but you saw in the spring game somebody who was very reliable. He had seven catches. I think the next closest was three. Um, looked good all spring. A guy that everybody raved about didn't come in um, and, and seemingly just stepped in and like Mikhail Wright was really really good right away. So. Uh, another guy, I just think you have to have him high on your list. Number three for me is Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, the reason he did not make the first two is I don't believe he's as much of a lock to, to spend time as a starter this season. Um, I think he certainly is talented enough, but I just think at that defensive end position, 
you have a lot of guys that are pretty good that are experienced vets. Gus Cumberlander mm-hmm. spent all of spring at the at the ones with the ones, and Mark Cristobal's raved about him as a guy that's really turned it on. Drayton Kralberg's another guy that started half the year last year. Uh, Austin Fiala is going to be a junior, and you know he's started a ton of games for Oregon at, at a defensive end. Um, Gary Baker's had time there, yeah. so I just don't know if if I think Kayvon is talented enough to start. You know, but he mentioned that you know it, it's all about you know getting himself physically ready. You know, he, he says he has the skill set. It's now it's getting his you know physical traits. You know, getting in condition. You know, getting stronger, getting heavier. Um, it, to, to have the same you know arsenal of weapons in his game that you know his peers have, and I just I think he's got a lot. He's he's in the perfect situation because he's going to come in and be able to go really really hard. You know, for short bursts of time and not have to be relied upon every single down because there's so many other vets around him to kind of ease his transition in until he fully acclimates himself. Uh, number two for me, this is where I have Micah Pittman. Shocking. Shocking. Uh, I think he starts early on in this season. I agree with you. He has an opportunity to lead the team in catches. Uh, Book Knight, their Oregon's receivers coach, said that he has the best hands of anybody on the team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're an Oregon fan, that's, you know, you want to hear that because of the drops that this position group had last year. I think the opportunities are there for him to have a huge impact. My number two is another wide receiver, Jawan Johnson, who I assume is probably going to be still on your list yes. coming, perhaps. Uh, I, I just think, similar to Pittman, I, I just don't know how he doesn't play a huge role in the passing game. Oregon, you know, Oregon has had to retool this position because... Yep. They lost Dylan Mitchell, and they didn't have a lot of other guys step up much last year. And Juwan Johnson and Micah Pittman and Delgado are three guys that they brought in this spring who I think have a huge opportunity to play a lot. And Johnson, I think, showed in a short period of time. Remember, we didn't expect him to be here for spring. We thought he was coming in at summer. He popped in for the second, I think, last nine practices of spring and and looked really good. Um, Caught touchdown passes in both the Portland scrimmage and in the spring game and looked like he might have had two in the spring game, uh, but, but there was a pass breakup, I think, by Thomas Graham that, that stopped that one. I just think he's really talented, and, and, and I'm kind of curious to see how they utilize him, what role he plays. But another guy who I think I think between Pittman and Johnson, easy picks to be probably your team's leaders yeah. in a lot of receiving categories. Yeah, and my number one is Jawan Johnson. I, I think he's going to be a guy that, that has an opportunity to start and will start and I think is probably going to become Oregon's go-to receiver. And so, you know, that makes – Number one, pretty easy for me to justify. Yeah, it would have been really, just really quickly before I get to my number one, because I'm building the suspense here, even though anybody who's listened to my list knows who it is. But I would be curious if we'd done this exercise last year where we would have had Tabari Hines. And the reason I bring that up is he was a grad transfer, had all sure. of this success coming in. He only caught like three passes and then basically transferred. So uh, not saying Juwan Johnson is going to be that sure. at all, but just just an interesting thing that I, th- I thought about putting this together of, we really thought Tabari, we were super high. We on thought he was going to be awesome last year, and he wasn't a, a role player even at all. And now you have Juwan Johnson. He coming transferred up. middle of the year because yeah, he couldn't play. He couldn't play. So uh, that 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 was a thing I was wrestling with when I was going between these top two. Is just is it possible that there's a repeat of last year with with Juwan Johnson? I think I don't expect it, but that kind of was the thing there. And number one for me, as you expect, is Kayvon Thibodeau. And and I think I share some of the same thoughts with you. I think. A lot of credit to Gus Cumberlander for basically locking down that first team. And we shouldn't say he wasn't only the first team defensive end. Kayvon had some time there. But Cumberlander, you know, as a guy who – I looked this up earlier today and was shocked. He only played in two games prior to last season in his whole career, and this is his senior season. So to put in perspective, 
he's played like 10 career games. So for a guy like him to to come in here and, and, and be able to hold Kayvon off a little bit or, or maybe entirely as the season progresses is a lot of credit to him. But I just think Kayvon is, is probably a little too talented. And I think at the very least he's going to be on the field on passing yeah. every single passing down. And another guy who I wouldn't be shocked at all if he leads the team in sacks and tackles for loss just because – you watch the production in the spring game and in the Portland scrimmage, and he seemed to be in the backfield an awful lot, and that was going up against some really good tackles Oregon has. That's going to be it for the, the top ten list. Certainly um, interesting. I, I'd love to know where you think we're right or where we're wrong. Uh, more importantly, where Eric's wrong. <laughs> or, or where Matt's wrong. <laughs> Matt might be wrong, too. <laughs> we can both be wrong. Sure. Uh Next week, we're going to do another podcast, and then I'm off to Mexico, so uh, we'll have another podcast while we're gone, but it'll be more um, specific of you know some things we know that aren't really necessarily groundbreaking news, more, yeah. of, more of analysis type stuff of recruiting yeah. and kind of inside stuff there. So if you've got questions, shoot them over to us on Twitter or shoot us a message on uh, duckterritory.com. Make sure to subscribe to duckterritory.com. Uh, one dollar. You got something that you want to oh, say? Oh, I just want to say, if you have an idea for a list. Okay. Give us an idea for a list. We like doing this. We're having a fun time with it. And uh, there's a lot of options. If you want to give us a top ten list idea, send it our way. The ten best third options of Oregon basketball. Boom. Uh, let's see here. We'll start. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Jeremy Jacob. Number. <laughs> <laughs> How many people know who Jeremy Jacob is? No so, offense to Jeremy. Some people but... listening to Ty- Tyron Narrett also and Teandre Williams. Like, those, oh, you're those, going way back. In these the are actually like the sixth option, guys. Actually. Uh, more than that. Yeah. No offense to those guys. Nice guys. Uh, nice guys, but they're not third options. Uh, that's going to do it for us on today's show. Thanks for listening uh, to the Duck Territory podcast. Like us on iTunes. Give us a review. Subscribe to DuckTerritory.com. One dollar for, for 30 days gets you in the door. So give us a try. Thanks for listening. Adios, amigos.